Hello, my name is Dan Aragides, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow in the lab of Dr. Ali A. Sher and a trainee in the pulmonary critical care research pathway at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. And I have joining me by telephone Dr. Charles Delacruz, who's an associate professor of medicine, pulmonary critical care, and sleep medicine, as well as microbial pathogenesis, and the director of the Center for Pulmonary Infection Research and Treatment at Yale University. Did I get all of that right? Yes, thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you for your time. So I was very interested in a recent paper of yours that was entitled The Impact of Cigarette Smoke Exposure on Lung Fibroblastic Response After Influenza Pneumonia, which was published in the December issue of the Red Journal. Um, would you mind taking us through a little bit about what led you to study that question in particular? Yes, um, our group and our collaborators have worked for many years uh, to look into the role of how cigarette exposure affect um, the lung response to various pathogens. And specifically, for that paper, we were focused on influenza virus infection. Um, clinically, we have associated uh, patients who either have a smoking history uh, active smoker or diagnosis to PD with um, multiple respiratory infection. Right now, we're in the middle of the start of uh, a flu season, uh, as you know, and uh, mm-hmm. patients get admitted for these um, uh, flu infection uh, or exacerbation of their underlying lung diseases. And so we were quite interested in finding out uh, from a modeling standpoint um, what these two exposures, both cigarette smoke and influenza virus, uh, affects the lung. Previously, we have published um, suggesting that having cigarette exposure and influenza virus results in an exaggerated inflammatory lung responses and have dissected some of these pathways that involve uh, several of these um, innate immune pathways that have been studied by us and by other people. Mm-hmm. For this for this work, we um, have extended our um, sort of our observation into finding out, um, in addition to more lung injury, uh, what happens uh, in the repair process and also uh, sort of persistence of this injury and potentially fibroblastic responses. We were actually quite surprised um, as we follow these animals uh, after influenza virus infection. Uh, mm-hmm. Even at 30 days after uh, influenza infection, where um, theoretically viral clearance has already happened, that there is persistent lung pathology. And by lung pathology, we mean um, increased inflammatory infiltration. And then more strikingly, we found was um, increased not only uh, peribronchial fibrotic changes, but we also saw. Uh, impressive uh, parenchymal uh, fibrotic uh, changes as uh, noted by some of our histological assessment um, of the lung tissues, uh, especially on the animals that were exposed to both cigarette and influenza virus. So we asked the question whether, what are the mechanisms behind this? And so we kind of tease apart um, some of these pathways, although we didn't fully explain uh, the entire process, and I think that opens up a lot of areas for us to 
exploring some of the things that we're actively involved working on now. Sure. Um, so just for a little bit of background for the listeners, uh, in these experiments, the mice were exposed to smoke for about two weeks, and then they were infected with a sublethal H1N1 influenza virus infection. And I was kind of struck by the fact that in the smoking cohort, uh, the initial inflammatory response to the influenza infection was pretty similar uh, when you looked at the total numbers of alveolar macrophages, uh, neutrophils, and then the blood cell count in the bronchoalveolar space, which was a little bit surprising to me. But then uh, there appeared to be a delayed resolution of the inflammation, and that seemed to coincide with a delayed weight recovery in the mice after they had already cleared the infection. Uh, can you speculate a little bit on what you think might be underlying this observation of the delayed recovery? Yeah, that's actually um, really interesting. Um, in the initial stage after influenza infection, um, we actually noted sort of a relative increase in um, the uh, the numbers of neutrophils and uh, the macrophages um, in, the, okay. in, the, in the in the lungs, um, mm-hmm. and um, and this actually decreases uh, after the peak in, peak inflammation after. Um, after sort of peak inflammation around day nine, uh, and it comes right down after that. Um, what's interesting is that with um, cigarette exposure, and typically um, we expose these animals uh, initially for two to four weeks, and in most cases uh, we get the most robust responses after four weeks of previous exposures, and then subsequently okay. followed by an influenza virus infection. And then when we follow mm-hmm. these animals, um, we see the persistent um, sort of macrophage responses um, in the lung that seems to go on uh, even up to um, 30 days after the infection. And so, and uh, whereas uh, animals that receive only the influenza virus, um, you see some of these uh, initial inflammatory response have sort of resolved. Um, keep in mind that in our model system, we use sublethal dose um, so that um, mm-hmm. these animals do survive, especially mm-hmm. with uh, the co-exposure with cigarette smoke. Um, others have done higher doses of influenza viruses, and I can go back to that point later, as potentially with higher dose of influenza virus, um, potentially the injury is more. Uh, you might see a little bit more prolonged inflammatory responses, uh, and you might mm-hmm. also see more of these fibrotic responses, independent of cigarette. And so what's kind of interesting is that um, whether cigarette smoke contributes to a different kind of response in terms of this persistent inflammation and fibrotic response, or do they, uh, or, or do they just contribute in a sense of additional injury uh, in addition to the infection? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. actually kind of interesting to tease that apart, um, whether just flu alone and in the degree of severity of disease uh, result in sort of longer time for resolution and longer persistence of injury and sort of fibrotic responses. I see. So in some way, does the cigarette smoke seem to take what the sublethal influenza infection and make it behave a little bit more as if it were a higher dose of the influenza virus? It's quite possible. I think that's potentially one of the hypotheses is that uh-huh. someone who has had this cigarette exposure um, does not necessarily need 
a higher load of viruses to cause similar uh, potent injury down the road. And so I think um, highlights the point of, of smoking cessation for our patients, certainly, and also highlights sure. the, the fact that um, how these patients who are exposed to cigarette smoke are more uh, susceptible to these kind of uh, lung pathology after infection. Sure. So in figure three of that paper, there was a fascinating phenomenon where the you looked at the active TGF-beta-1 levels, and in the smoking cohort of the mice, it was actually lower uh, in the initial response to the infection, but then there was a second peak at 24 days, um, around two weeks after the infection had been cleared, as far as you could tell, which occurred around day nine, um, whereas the control group, so they had a that initial response in the TGF beta one, and then they had no peak at, at the later time point. Um, what do you think might be going on there that, that could be happening up to two weeks after the infection has you know, presumably been eradicated? Right. So I think that's actually very interesting. I think the initial uh, um, increase in TGF beta uh, is the body's response to modulate the inflammation. Um, and I think mm-hmm. the the smoking exposure somehow downregulates the TGF beta response, which could explain why we see uh, a little bit heightened inflammatory response in the acute phase when we have cigarette and influenza virus infection. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, so, so in some sense, you probably need some sort of a TGF beta response to sort of modulate how much inflammatory response you want initially. And so we see mm-hmm. that. Um, in the first week. Uh, what's interesting is that the active TGF beta uh, over after that initial phase um, pretty much goes away. And then as we follow right. these anim- animals um, weeks into these infections, we see a uh, sort of a second surge, especially in the ones that have the cigarette exposure, uh, a TGF beta increase. Uh, uh, and I think what is going on there is potentially that the injury uh, and the pathology that has resulted from the cigarette exposure and influenza um, um, sort of is being repaired by the lung uh, at a later time point. Uh, and, and part of that repair process um, induces the geobanda responses. And I think one of the studies that we did uh, was to use a neutralizing antibody to, to this right. later phase of TGF-beta to see if we could attenuate this fibrotic response in vivo. Um, which is kind of interesting. I think we were able to show uh, that some of the parameters were decreased with the anti-TGF-beta antibodies. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it wasn't fully um, um, sort of attenuated, suggested that there are potentially other uh, pathways that can contribute to this fibroblastic response down the road. And so I think um, potentially uh, independent of cigarette exposure, one can envision maybe a higher dose of influenza virus infection leading to more pathology that you might have this additional TGF beta response down the road uh, as, mm-hmm. as a part of a repair mechanism. And I think when somebody has a persistent um, uh, exposure to cigarette smoke, either by smoking themselves or secondhand smoke, for example, that um, this TGF beta response gets perpetuated uh, and then mm-hmm. um, allows for this sort of chronic fibroblastic response in the lung, uh, mm-hmm. even after, for example, the virus infection have already happened. I see. And so it gets into this area of 
sort of the balance between lung repair and then fibrogenesis and fibrotic lung diseases that, as we know, the cigarette smoke is a risk factor for. Exactly. Um, I think, and, and which is kind of interesting. And so, I mean, one could ask the question, you know, um, what happens um, if you remove the stimulus of cigarette exposure or what drives some of these fibroblasts to uh, proliferate independent of exposure, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, many things that one could explore in terms of finding out. What we did was, you know, we took the lungs of these animals at a later phase and then isolated mm-hmm. the fibroblasts from them, as you noted, and um, and saw that outside in ex vivo, the lung, um, that these fibroblasts from the cigarette-exposed infected mice um, had a higher proliferative capacity, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they have a lot of the features of this myofibroblastic phenotype. Um, and so we've done some preliminary studies currently now to identify what is really being expressed in these fibroblasts um, that makes them potentially um, able to um, change their explosion profile, um, mm-hmm. you know, for example, to, you know, um, to proliferate on its own, uh, why they secrete more growth factors and things like that, uh, which mm-hmm. potentially could drive some of the ILDs that, uh, that some of our patients uh, ex- experience. Interesting. So have you tried or in your system would you anticipate any sort of benefit from the antifibrotic drugs that are currently used for IPS? That's actually a really, really good question, Daniel. And so I think, um, as you know, um, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis has its own specific features uh, that is mm-hmm. very different from uh, the non-IPF ILDs. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I think um, as we learn more and more about IPF and some of these newer drugs that target um, the TGF beta pathway and also uh, the non-TGF beta pathways, uh, mm-hmm. one wonders whether some of these drugs um, potentially could impact uh, some of these alternative uh, fibrotic lung diseases uh, that uh, that some of our patients have. Um, and so those are some of the studies that um, we're teasing apart to see whether or not potentially some of these antifibrotic medications uh, could be used uh, for um, uh, for our patients. Um, if you think about some of our COPD patients, um, more and more people are now uh, identifying interstitial lung abnormalities in CAT scans um, sure. uh, for patients with COPD, and then um, there's certainly more um, uh, patients identified in all these large cohort of uh, COPD patients. Um, what they found was that these patients um, with ILAs, uh, uh, something they call interstitial lung abnormalities, uh, mm-hmm. have higher uh, mortality um, than mm. people who do not have those. I think right now, I think the investigators uh, in this field are trying to tease apart what these ILAs are because some of them are more ground glass, some of them are more fibrotic looking. And so I think with some of the experts who do imaging work, um, they're now um, further characterizing it. And mm-hmm. so, um, but we do see these patients. And so, uh, and so uh, people with um, COPD features, in addition to these interstitial lung abnormalities or fibrotic changes, this potentially could be a mechanism. 
for what's going on. Um, and uh, even though that they do not necessarily have uh, the true and true features of IPF, uh, certainly there right. is certainly scarring going on. And so potentially mm -hmm. we could learn from um, the other uh, ILDs uh, for for our patients with COPD. And then coming in from the ILD side uh, or IPF side, um, you know, it's been known that um, way back in the patient's history, potentially there's some trigger, right, that leads to a sort of a right. dysfunctional uh, repair and, and uh, out-of-control fibroblastic response. Um, I don't know whether these are the beginnings of an IPF, and so um, we just don't know. I think uh, I think sure. more stuff needs to be done. Yeah, sort of along those lines and taking a little bit of a step back from the work in your specific paper, do you think that less severe respiratory infections over time could have a similar sort of combined effect with the smoke exposure to promote a pro-fibrotic repair mechanism, or do you think that this is the sort of phenomenon that might require a more severe infection, such as influenza? I, I think from our study, it, it does suggest that having cigarette smoke, um, at least with flu, can result in this pathology, more persistent pathology, mm -hmm. uh, more chronic and fibrotic pathology, at least in the mouse model. Um, mm -hmm. We haven't done it with other, um, for example, um, respiratory viruses like RSV or rhinovirus, but certainly I think those mm -hmm. are really interesting ideas. Um, mm -hmm. The question is whether or not a severe uh, influenza that goes along with a lot of inflammation, ARDS, do, are they, um, do they lead to eventual uh, similar um, process? And I think um, whether or not it repairs or not, might be dictated by a lot of things, right, which includes um, host factors, but also environmental factors like cigarette smoke. And so I think um, in the right combinations, uh, um, uh, influenza infection um, in the subset of them could lead to uh, pathology. Uh, it's just that we don't usually follow these patients, right, uh, who survive influenza virus as, as much, right? We usually see them once they have developed um, these um, lung diseases mm -hmm. down, down the road. Right. And so so I think um, um, I think one of the things that would be important now is to identify these patients who do survive some of these um, hospitalizations uh, and to really follow them closely. Uh, mm -hmm. my, my suggestion potentially is that if they do have exposures uh, such as cigarette smoke and other uh, exposures that uh, there might be higher risk of developing um, some of these fibrotic changes. Great. Um, so you were also recently involved in a different study in the Blue Journal that was titled Extracellular Mitochondrial DNA is Generated by Fibroblast and Predicts Death in Idiopathic Pulmonary Fibrosis. And in that paper, uh, TGF data signaling induced metabolic shifts in some of the lung fibroblasts and also was it caused some increased extracellular mitochondrial DNA levels, which, as you know, might be associated with um, damage-associated molecular pattern receptor activation. And can you make any connections between that study and your uh, cigarette smoke and influenza study to sort of inform our concept of fibrotic 
lung disease more generally. I know we've been talking about this uh, sort of dancing around the edges of this question a little bit already. Yeah, I think, um, Daniel, that's really uh, uh, interesting to bring up. Um, and, you know, um, the persistent inflammatory conditions in smokers uh, during infection is is certainly maintained by probably products of injury, and this includes mm-hmm. um, what you've noted uh, are these damage-associated molecular patterns or DAMs, uh, and then many of these DAMs uh, are now being recognized uh, to to not only uh, be present but also uh, uh, serve as a pathological um, means towards um, disease process, and so. Um, so in that study, uh, for, uh, patients with true IPF, um, what they found was that they have higher levels of extracellular DNA, uh, which are these mm-hmm. mitochondrial DNAs, uh, that are likely released, um, during some injury and cell death. And, um, and, and typically I think these, um, mitochondrial DNA, uh, can, um, activate, uh, the TLR9 pathway and, and then sort of mm-hmm. downstream inflammatory response. And so, so yes, I think, um, you know, uh, we haven't looked specifically for mitochondrial DNA in our model. Uh, however, mm-hmm. uh, people who, who work on COPD and some of these cigarette exposure uh, mouse models have identified also um, mitochondrial changes, um, um, also uh, changes in um, the metabolism uh, uh, to sort of uh, switch mm-hmm. from uh, sort of the to the aerobic glycolysis, for example, uh, mm-hmm. and so. So I think um, there's certainly there is certainly a connection uh, in this area, uh, and so through our collaboration uh, with Dr. Herzog's group, uh, who is um, who was the PI for that um, paper, mm-hmm. uh, this is certainly an active area of research in our lab right now. Great, um, we definitely have some areas of uh, overlap in our interests when it comes to. Uh, metabolism in the lung, and uh, I was wondering earlier that there was a podcast uh, in March of 2018 whereby uh, Dr. Navdeep Chandel spoke with uh, Dr. Ben Singer in an interview, and they were talking about some of the metabolic similarities between carcinogenesis and pulmonary fibrosis, um, where, as you know, as you mentioned, both are can be associated with aerobic glycolysis, and then they're both uh, high, also high anabolic states that require large amounts of energy and macromolecular building blocks for cell growth or collagen deposition, respectively. Um, do you think that the cigarette smoke is one of the factors that's uh, modifying the uh, metabolic state and contributing to the enhanced uh, fibrogenesis in your influenza infection model? Yeah, I think certainly, um, you know, what Dr. Chandel was proposing, um, you know, where this anabolic process um, resulting in these collagen fibers in the lung um, leading to fibrosis is certainly uh, very important. Um, I think as we understand how um, this happens in our lung, um, there's always this balancing act between a fibrotic process, right, and then also an antifibrotic process. Uh, And I think this balance is fairly delicate, and um, cigarette smoke certainly contributes to probably to that, uh, and then I think there's a lot of literature uh, have been already done uh, to show that, um, that the cigarette exposure uh, can affect meta- metabolic processes. Um, the question mm-hmm. is, then, if you add into the mix 
uh, a bad, bad influenza infection uh, in these smokers, for example, uh, it might tip over um, this fine balance in favor of a more fibrogenic response. Um, and mm-hmm. so, um, and so maybe I think as, as we identify um, mechanisms um, that could inhibit uh, these fibrotic responses, uh, we might be able to uh, identify some pathways that uh, might lead to these persistence of, um, uh, of, of uh, lung pathology that we could uh, we see. Um, and so I think uh, moving forward, uh, I think understanding um, these pathways, uh, metabolic pathways, uh, how it's impacted by exposures uh, to by cigarette smoke, uh, mm-hmm. uh, could definitely help us uh, uh, with some new insights um, into hopefully um, the different phenotypes of susceptibilities and different phenotypes of lung diseases that we see in patients. Um, and then also not forgetting that, um, you know, these infections are not necessarily just uh, the fact that patients are susceptible to it, but it certainly has some longer-term outcomes uh, uh, or consequences for our patients. Right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, I think I learned a lot, and hopefully we can inform our the listeners as well. Any concluding remarks or anything, last words that you'd like to leave us on? Yeah, I think as uh, the winter season and the holiday season is in the midst uh, for all of us, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think as pulmonologists, uh, we we uh, want to advocate for um, sort of smoking cessation, uh, tobacco control, of course, uh, and yeah. um, sort of uh, controlling air pollution, for example, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, also uh, for patients uh, who are susceptible and potentially could be susceptible to infection is to uh, get their vaccinations, uh, uh, both for influenza and for pneumococcus. Um, so we're certainly right in the middle of it, I think, and right now mm-hmm. with influenza starting to pick up uh, in this country, uh, so uh, hopefully it won't be as bad because last year were, um, it killed 80,000 people here in, just in the U.S. That's a, a great thing to note, and obviously the importance of smoking sensation as a modifying factor on those infections is, uh, is paramount, as we know. Well, thank you so much, and, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Daniel.